Dig into the Bible a little bit. Numbers chapter 13. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 13, verses 21 through 33. But we're actually going to start at verse 25, because um, there's a lot of really hard names to read um, from verse 21 on. So um, I just don't want to do it this morning. So <laughs> that's awesome. I love being in church with you. I love, I love this place. And uh, I love being able to come and gather together uh, as a community, dig into God's word, see how it applies to our life, and, and, and get on with the business that God has, has for us. Verse 25, Numbers chapter 13 says this, at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. Uh, previous to this moment in the Bible, uh, Moses had sent out a legion of spies to go spy out the promised land. Every shout promised land. Promise. Come on, every shout promised land. There we go. Promised land. He, he sent them out. He says, I want you to go check, check out this land. I want you to go see where God is taking us. And there's some stuff that we need to understand that. The promised land, Rashad, promised land? Promise. The promised land is where God was sending them, all right? It was the promised land. How many of you like good promises? All right, we all do. And so they were excited about this. So these spies are sent out, and, and he says, look, I need you to go check out this land. I want you to come back and give a report. Tell us what's going on in the promised land. So at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. Verse 26, and they came to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. They held up the fruit. Um, many believe that it was, it was a, a large grape bush that, that they were showing them. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea. It is a land of ites, all right, and along the Jordan. And then verse 30, this is what I want us to see this morning. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once, occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. How many of you know Caleb's a pretty positive dude? At this moment, after this report, after everything that the spies were saying, Caleb says this, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report. Everybody shout, bad report. A bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Today I want to speak to you from the subject, What Do You See? What do you see as we deal with the issue of perspective and faith-oriented sight. Will you pray with me just one more time this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and active. We thank you that it's powerful, that it has the ability to transform us from the inside out. God, I thank you for this amazing church, not the four walls, not the, not the carpet, not the lights, not the stuff, but the people. The people that make this place up, us who sit in this room together this morning. And so God, I pray that you would continue to build unity amongst us that we would know and understand your grace today, that we would experience your presence, because we know that where your presence is, there is freedom, and we know that who the sun sets free is free indeed. And so I thank you for this moment that we have to gather together this morning to saturate ourselves in your word and to go back out into the world in which you've called us to love and minister to. I thank you for this moment that we have this morning in Jesus' mighty name, and everybody shouted, amen. amen. Anybody got bad eyes in here? 
Come on, show, show hands. If you, like, just admit it right now. It's good. We're all, we're bad, bad eyes. We're all the bad eye people. Bad eye people, you've got glasses, contacts. Yeah, okay. Um, I have a truth to tell. I actually have bad eyes. Um, but there's this streak of rebellion that resides in me. I'm still praying it through. Um, still, working, still working on it. Um, but uh, there's this streak of, of rebel inside of me which refuses to go to the eye doctor. And here is why. Because, uh, yeah, I know we've got some eye doctors right over here. Um, but uh, here's why. Because last time I went to the eye doctor, they stuck that dye in my eye, which makes me blind. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And everything goes like just, it's gone. And then this is what they did to me. This is why I think that eye doctors are sadistic people. Um, so after they injected that stuff into me, they sent me into the lobby to go pick out glasses. <laughs> which I didn't get the point of doing at all because I'm wandering through the lobby like this trying to, and I'm like, I think they're just standing behind the window laughing at me as I'm trying to figure this whole, this whole game out. It, it, was, it was ridiculous. And so I've decided that I'm going to rebel against eye doctors and I'm not going to, I'm not going to fund their endeavors of pain and, and uh, sadistic behavior by purchasing glasses from their, their place. So my Bible has very large, <laughs> you can see it from there. Um, and then I've got this, the largest iPad Pro that you can have to, to preach off of. And, uh, and so, so you kind of know where my eyesight's at. That's, that's what I'm working with every, every single uh, weekend uh, around here. I find it interesting, however, that right here in, in Numbers, we're dealing with a perspective issue. We're dealing with a sight issue. We're dealing with this compare and contrast between two groups of people that were looking at the same situation from a different perspective. You had a group of people, the majority amount of the spies, looking at the, the land that was flowing with milk and honey, the fruit to which they had shown, the promised land that God was sending him into. You have one group of people looking at this from a negative perspective, a bad perspective, and giving report to the children of Israel. And then you have one lone ranger, one dude, who all of a sudden said, hey, let's look at it from a different perspective. Let's look at this thing from a different way. And he said, he didn't even care about any of the ites. He didn't care about how difficult what it was going to be. He simply said, let us go up at once. Let us occupy it. We are well able to overcome. There was two different perspectives happening in this one moment. And I love this story because I think for us, it shows us the importance of developing right perspective in life. Right perspective in, in faith. Right? Perspective is a massive issue. And I think for many of us, we can inherently believe that perspective has no bearing biblically, has no bearing spiritually. But I want to I let us know this morning, I want to declare this morning, that our perspective is a massive issue when it comes to our faith. When it comes to following Jesus, our perspective is king. And I've met so many people who are trying to wander down this journey of faith, trying to figure it out, trying to work with it, trying to understand what God is doing. And the reason that we struggle with our journey many times is because we have bad perspective. We have perspective that, like these other spies, are looking at everything that we see in life, are looking at our journey, are looking at the world around us. We look at it with this slanted perspective, not seeing what God wants us to see. Caleb shows us what it's like to have a perspective shaped by good sight in comparison to the perspective of the other spies and ultimately the majority of the other people. And here's the truth. Right perspective in life and faith is something shared by few. 
Because it's simply, come on, it's simply easier to see things negatively and myopically. Isn't it? I mean, come on, can we like have a little therapy session? Isn't it easier just to simply look at things in a slanted, negative view? Negative. How many of you know it's easier to be Eeyore? We talked about this a little while ago. It's easier to be Eeyore than it is to be Tigger, right? And that's not a personality thing. It's just easier to see things negatively. Isn't it easier to see all the bad drivers on the freeway than it is the, the good drivers? Especially here in Utah, right? Until, come on, how many of you have slipped into Utah driving? Come on, be honest. You're running red lights now. You know what I'm talking about. I did it yesterday. <laughs> I just right through. I was like, oh, finally I've arrived. I'm the Utah. But here's the truth. God will ask us to try to see things that are beyond our natural ability to see. He'll ask us to see what others don't see, can't see, and won't see. He'll ask us to see beyond the difficulty, see beyond the pain, the fear, in order to ultimately see what he sees for our lives. Come on, how many of you would agree with me this morning? As much as we may believe it or not, God has a bigger and better perspective over our lives than many times we do. And so God's asking us, he's saying, hey guys, I need you to do something for me. I need you to switch your perspective. I need you to start looking at things a little bit differently. This isn't looking at life and ignoring what's there. And have you met that person before? Right? Have you met the person before who's like, they're they're all full of faith, they call it. Which is absolutely just, like they're ignoring everything that's going on in life. Just everything is good. Everything is good. You're like, no, it's not good. And it's okay that things aren't good. The question is, is are you allowing it to shape and ruin your perspective, however? Because it's one thing to understand that things aren't the best in life, but it's another thing to understand that things aren't the best in life, but I still have a perspective that is shaped and formed and graced in God's presence and goodness, understanding that he's got better things, greater things, things in my future that I gotta step into. I gotta change my perspective. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. That's what we're looking at This morning, and Caleb offers us a declaration that I believe speaks to what it means and what it looks like to have a healthy and right perspective in life. Numbers 13, verse 30, if you're taking notes, just write that thing down so that it's there in front of you. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once, let us occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. The New American Commentary puts it this way. The faithful servant Caleb promptly spoke out against the negative report in the face of the people's grumbling, speaking firmly with a visionary declaration to the Israelite audience. Caleb issued a trifold emphatic challenge. Let us go up, all right? We'll possess it because we're capable of it. This is his declaration. And I think that it's this declaration that provides us some amazing truth as to what it looks like and what it means to have a right perspective in life. So here's our challenge this morning. This is what we're going to dig into. Is I want to I look at three truths that are based in Caleb's declaration right here about what it looks like to have a right perspective. Does that work with everybody? All right, so let's dig in. I need your help. Every shot, number one. Number one, this is the first one. Right perspective keeps us from being passive. Right perspective keeps us from being passive passive. So this is where Caleb says, let us go up at once. Let us do this. Come on, we got this. Having a right perspective keeps us from being and living a life of passivity. 
A right perspective causes us to go after that which God has for us and desires for us. You see, the spies were sent in to gather information. Listen, they were sent in to gather information. When they came back, they offered opinion. Think about that. Moses only wanted information. He said, go into the land, spy it out, see what's in there. And this is what happened. They segue it. Right, the spies come back and they said, "Surely, it's a, here's the information. It's flowing with milk and honey. The fruit's awesome. There's some stuff going on in the land." And then, but, right, it moves from information to opinion, and their opinion was simply this: "We can't do it. There's no way. Uh-uh, can't do it. No way. Don't send us in there. They're big people. <laughs> They're dangerous people. Don't do it, Moses." I think that's what we do a lot in our lives. We look at the information in front of us, and faith starts to rise, but then our opinion gets to get injected. Or the opinion of others starts to inform our life, and all of a sudden, that which was simply supposed to be information to kind of alert us and, and create an awareness of where God was bringing us and so on and so forth, now all of a sudden, opinion has squashed and stifled out the faith that was once there. And many times, we need a Caleb to kind of shout into our life, no, 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 let us go up at once. We are well able to do this. We can occupy this. And that is my mission this morning is because some of you are living with a dream, some of you are living with some ideas and some thoughts and you've allowed opinion to shape but I want to be your Caleb this morning and shout into your life come on you can do this you're well able you can overcome you can overcome we got to switch our perspective notice that the faith of Caleb came before the opinion of others and our perspective church can be built by faith or can be built by opinion but either way it's going to be built right it can be built by faith, or it can be built by opinion, but your perspective is going to be built no matter what. Right? Are you like me right now, where I cannot stand to turn on the news? Come on, can I get a witness in church this morning? <laughs> I can't do it. Like, I start to twitch when I, when I put it on. Right? And I just want to look at the weather report. That's it. I need the weather report to tell me snow is coming onto the mountains. Right? That's all I need, but I don't get the weather report. I get 50,000 things that is wrong with the world right now. And I get it. Our world's pretty messed up right now. But come on, let's be honest. It's been messed up for a long time. Right? It's not like a surprise. Right? And that's the danger of, what, of where we're living and what we're living in right now. Is that many times we can allow everything, all the information, all the stuff that's coming into our life to shape our perspective. Right? shapes the way that we start to look at the world. Man, maybe we can't do the things that we're designed to do. Maybe we can't reach this city and change the city. Maybe we can't build homes in Mexico. Maybe we can't build a redemption house. Maybe we can't go beyond the four walls of this place. Maybe we can't do this because the world's hard and it's rough. But last time I checked, when Jesus is leading the way, when he's in front of us, when he's going before us, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We're well able. We can do this. You can do this. Too many people that are living, there are too many people living with an opinion, but remaining passive in life. See, God has not called us to give an opinion. He's called us, he's called us to be his hands and his feet. Jesus never said, go into all the world and offer your opinion. <laughs> that wasn't in the Hebrew and Greek at all. 
He's like, no, go make disciples. Go make. Go do something. It's an action word, one that carries faith and hard work. And so the first thing that I've realized, the first truth that I've realized by Caleb's statement is that having a faith-built perspective, a right perspective, causes me to remove myself from moments of passivity. I actually have to be active in my faith now. When I have a right perspective, all of a sudden it says, man, there's some stuff that you get to be a part of. I talk with so many people in life with big vision and bad perspective. This was the children of Israel. They wanted to take a hold of the land that God had for them and promised them. They had big vision. Come on, you ever had big vision before? Right? But they quickly became unwilling because they had bad perspective. See, it's one thing to have big vision for life. And I start talking like this now because as we lead into the beginning of this new year, 2018, we got some big vision ahead of us. We got some things that God has put in front of us, some some perspective shifting that we have to do as a church. And I want to be the type of church that doesn't just have big vision, but we have right perspective. Because nothing gets done when you have big vision and bad perspective. All right? Some of the greatest dreams, some of the biggest ideas have been laid bare on the altar of bad perspective. They never got accomplished. They never happened because bad perspective came into the picture. See, the children of Israel can no longer see the promise of God over the problems of the land. You ever been there before? Here's the truth about the promises of God in our lives, okay? Hard truth. They will always have a problem that accompanies them. No one wants to say amen there. But it's true. Why? Here's why. This is what's awesome about it. Because the promise is so much bigger than the problem, so we need the problem to build character in us so that the promise does not destroy us. That's why promises and problems always go together. Promises and problems, they walk hand in hand. They're dating. They're passionately in love with each other. And that's a good thing. Why? Because the problem shapes us and fortifies us and builds character in us so that the promise doesn't destroy us when we have it. We all want the promise without the problem though, right? But how many of you know that my my son, who's seven years old right now, I could promise him our car, but how many of you know I'm not giving him the keys yet? That would be dumb. Why? Because his character, his age, his stature, his way of fitting, none, none of it gives him the ability to drive that vehicle. He's got some stuff that he's got to work through in order to become the man that I need him to be in order to pass on the keys that I have for him. And I think the, true is, the same is true for our lives. God's got some promises that are represented in this room this morning, but we're so freaked out by the problems. But what if we could change our perspective? What if we could get a little bit excited? Where there's a problem, there's a promise, and now all of a sudden my perspective changes, and I go, come on, problems, let's do this. I can walk, now, it's, it's a, now I'm walking with the promises and the problems. I'm excited about it. And I watch so many Christians who run from problems. I don't want this problem. Then maybe you don't want the promise. And that was what was going on with the children of Israel. However, what happens so many times in life is that we see the problem instead. Because we see the problem, we become passive. We settle for what we have or had. And this is what the children of Israel desired to do just a few verses later. Numbers 14, 1 through 4. Watch this. This is insanity in the making. 
It says, then all the congregation raised a loud voice, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or that we would have died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Their desire was to choose another leader, one with a poor perspective, to lead them back to the place from which they had came. And I think that this is the human tragedy, that we will willingly choose what is easy and comfortable over that which God has promised. And so many times we will gladly choose a leader to help us get there. <laughs> Think about that. How's that job interview go? Sir, may I see your, uh, your resume? Oh, this is a great resume. Most negative person on the planet. All right, good, gets good. Constantly post crazy stuff on Facebook. All right, yep, good. Good. Worst tweeter ever. Okay, Good constantly tearing things down and believing the worst possible situation is going to happen? All right, cool. You're our leader. Bring us back to Egypt. <laughs> Instead of looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who's going to pull us through. So the first thing that I've learned about perspective is this, that a right perspective will keep us from being passive. It says we're going to continue on to the promise even when there's problems. Am I talking to anybody this morning? All right, number two, every shot, number two. Number two, the second Second truth that we see from Caleb's declaration is this. Right perspective keeps us from being pejorative. <laughs> Got it in there. Yeah. My wife made fun of me last night. She's like, does anybody know what pejorative means? Did you just literally get into the dictionary and look for another P word? And I was like, possibly. There's another P word. <laughs> So let me define it for us. For those of us who don't know, <laughs> Seth's down here going, what's pejorative? <laughs> pejorative, a word expressing contempt or disapproval. This is what's interesting. Right perspective keeps us from being pejorative. This is what Caleb says. He says, let us go up and occupy it. All right? Not only did Caleb insist that they go up at once, they weren't passive, but they were aggressive. He insisted that when they do, they occupy it. They take a hold of what was there for them. Why? Because that was what God said for them to do. The wilderness was the only place. The wilderness was the only place they should be visiting, not occupying. There was another place for them to occupy. However, they were struggling to do so because their perspective was pejorative. This type of perspective is more than just being negative. It is about holding things with contempt and disapproval. Think about that. The children of Israel, right there in Numbers 14, we just read that, this is what they said. Why would the Lord bring us here to die? They all of a sudden held the promise in contempt. This is the very thing they were praying for. God, free us. Take us out of slavery. Move us from Egypt. We want this place. Then God gives it to them, and once they get there, and it's a little difficult, all of a sudden they hold the thing in contempt. God, take us out of here. I don't want this anymore. Let us go back to Egypt. If you were God at a certain point, would you be like, are these people schizophrenic? What is going on here? 
They didn't just see the promised land negatively. They held it with contempt and disapproval. It was as if they were saying to God, how dare you send us here? Have you ever felt that way or acted that way before? Let me talk to all the transplants in the house this morning. All the transplants here in church, and you start to giggle because you know where I'm going with this, right? I've found that so many people that have moved into this state because of jobs, etc., find it difficult and in many moments don't want to be here. I get that. Totally. Here's the thing, though. Is it possible that this place and this city represent the promised land for you and you simply can't see it because you have a pejorative perspective? I know. I hate that pastor. What a jerk. I get it. I've done it before. I've done it. Planting a church in Salt Lake City, Utah, it's hard. There's many moments I've sat in my living room. God, why? <laughs> Seriously. David's prayer. David prayed this prayer in the Old Testament at one point earlier. He said, God, save me from the people you've called me to. That was his prayer. And I get it now. <laughs> but here's the thing how are we supposed to reach what we can't reconcile in our hearts how are we supposed to reach the city that God has called us to if we hold it in contempt do you think that God doesn't know that it's not a hard place he knows it's hard that's why he brought you here your job's not a coincidence your job is not what brought it may have been the the vehicle it may have been the catalyst but that's not why you're here. That bad situation that brought you here, that, that, that got you here because your family's here and things are uh, they're, they're struggling, that, that may have been the catalyst, that may have been the vehicle, but it's not why you're here. Because God ultimately has a plan and a purpose behind everything that happens. You're here on purpose. You're here for a reason. Let's not hold it in contempt. Listen, Here's, here's something. Somebody needs to write this down this morning. You cannot contend for what you hold in contempt. You can't fight for it. You cannot contend for what you hold in contempt. And I believe that every single person in here is here on purpose. Whether you just moved here or been here all your life, the question is whether your perspective is right or not. But it's not just being in Utah. It could be anything that God does or wants to do in our lives that we view with a pejorative perspective. We hold it in contempt because we're not comfortable with it. We can't be comfortable and, make a ca- and, and, and be catalytic at the same time. The two simply can't exist together. You're either catalytic or you're comfortable. You're either a lazy boy chair or you're doing something about it. Come on, somebody. <laughs> the greatest feats ever accomplished for God only came where comfort was abandoned. No great thing ever comes from living comfortably. And I truly believe that a pejorative perspective is enforced and reinforced by a spirit and desire to just simply live comfortably. So the second truth that we see about perspective is this, that it keeps us. Right perspective keeps us from being pejorative. It keeps us from holding God's promise in contempt. Shout number three. Number three. The last one is this. Right perspective keeps us from being presumptuous. You get your P's this morning? Just so you know, this sermon today is brought to you by the letter P. 
preaching 101, alliteration at its finest. <laughs> the right perspective keeps us from being presumptuous. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb was speaking from a place of fact, by the way. This is where the presumption comes in. Caleb was speaking from a place of fact. The rest of the people and the spies were presuming to know what was going to happen once they entered into the promised land. Their presumption dialed back the faith. And Caleb was speaking from fact. The fact of the matter was God said this, I'm taking you to a promised land. You guys tracking with me, right? But they believed, the spies believed, the people believed how it was all, how it was all gonna fold out. And here's the truth. We don't normally presume the positive, do we? Come on, you ever been there before? You ever presume when you wake up that morning, right, you spill your coffee on accident and all of a sudden the presumption train comes along? Today is going to be a bad day. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to get into a car accident. All right, my marriage is over. Like, this is going to be a bad day. <laughs> we never presume the positive. And that's why I believe that presumption is the worst kind of perspective. See, the children of Israel presumed that they were not able to take the land. Their presumption was the product of forgetting the promise and the power of God. Their capability was not in their strength and ability, but rather in the power that was attached to the promise. Come on, you've got more power than you realize. Come on, everybody turn to your neighbor right now and say you've got more power than you realize. I'm not talking like Power Rangers stuff, okay? I'm talking about the Spirit of God that dwells in you. This is what the Bible says. Paul says it's the same Spirit that rose Christ from the grave lives in us. That's why Caleb knew it was fact. He wasn't being presumptuous. He knew it was fact. We are able to overcome. And that's a message for somebody here this morning. You are well able to overcome. The thing that's in front of you, the problem that you're facing, the situation that is, that is imploding upon you, you are well able to overcome. And if I need to shout louder to say that to somebody this morning, I will, because you are well able to overcome it. Because God is with you, he is for you, he's not against you. So here's this interesting story, excerpt from Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point. Maybe you've read this before. I'm going to read it verbatim, lots of reading, but, but go with me. And I quote, even the smallest and most subtle, unexpected of factors can affect the way that we act. One of the most infamous incidents in New York City history, for example, was the 1964 stabbing death of a young Queenswoman by the name of Kitty Genovese. Genovese. <laughs> She was chased by her assailant and attacked three times on the street over the course of a half an hour. As 38 of her neighbors watched it from their windows. During that time, however, none of the 38 witnesses called the police. The case provoked rounds of self-discovery and looking into things. It became symbolic of the cold and dehumanizing effects of urban life. Abe Rosenthal, who would later become editor of the New York Times, wrote in his book about the case, nobody can say why the 38 did not lift the phone while Miss Genovese was being attacked since they cannot say themselves. It can be assumed, however, that their apathy was indeed one of the big city variety. It's almost a matter of psychological survival if one is surrounded and pressed by millions of people to prevent them from constantly impinging on you. And the only way to do this is to ignore them as often as possible. Indifference to one's neighbor and his troubles is a conditioned reflex in life in New York as it is in other big cities. Goes on to write, 
This is the kind of environmental explanation that makes intuitive sense to us. The anonymity and alienation of big city life makes people hard and unfeeling. The truth about this woman, however, turns out to be a little more complicated and more interesting. Two New York psychologists, Bib Latane of Columbia University and John Darley of New York University, subsequently conducted a series of studies to understand what they dubbed the bystander problem. They staged emergencies of one kind or another in different situations in order to see who would come and help. In one experience, experiment, for example, Latane and Darley had a student alone in the room stage an epileptic fit when there was just one person next door. Listening, that person rushed to the student's aid 85% of the time. But when subjects thought there were four others also overhearing the seizure, they came to the student's aid only 31% of the time. In another experiment, people who saw smoke seeping out from underneath the doorway would report it 75% of the time when they were on their own, but the incident would be reported only 38% of the time when they were in a group. Here's the, here's the, the profound issue here. When people are in a group, in other words, responsibility for acting is diffused. They assume that someone else will make the call. They presume that because no one else is acting, the apparent problem, the seizure-like sounds from the other room, the smoke from the door, isn't really a problem. In the, ki- in the case of this woman then, social psychologists like Latane and Darley argue the lesson is not that no one called despite the fact that 38 people heard her scream. It's that no one called because 38 people heard her scream. Ironically, had she been attacked on a lonely street with just one witness, she might have lived. Presumption becomes what we talked about in our first truth, passivity. And that is why a presumptuous perspective is the worst perspective that we can possibly have. I want to close out with this. Pastor Terry Chris, he's pastor, he was here for our four-year anniversary last year, uh, pastor at Hillsong Phoenix, recently talked about presumption in a way that I found so helpful and insightful when it comes to our lives and specifically our churches. You can fill in the blanks. We've talked a lot about our personal lives in the past couple weeks, but I thought this morning I would highlight some presumptions that we can have as a church if we're not careful, that I think are dangerous to the advancement of God's purpose and design in this valley. I believe when it comes to our churches, presumption can be a dangerous reality, a reality that stops us from making new discoveries, learning greater truths and practices, and exercising the childlike faith necessary to reach a city. So as we close, I want to rattle off a list of dangerous presumptions that we need to be aware of if we're going to be the people and the church that God's called us to be. Does that sound cool with everybody? And we're going to close on this. The first one, don't presume to know someone's motives. Don't presume to know someone's motives. Second one, don't presume to know what people are going through. It's easy to do that, isn't it? Oh, life must be good for them. I hear from people all the time, man, I come into this church and it looks like everybody is just great. Don't be presumptuous. Because that person may be needing you to come to them and ask, how are you doing? Presumption keeps us from ministering to people. In the worst kind of way. Don't presume that people in our city know about our church. I say, invite everybody. Steal them, duct tape them to your roof, do whatever you need to do. Don't presume that people know about our church. Don't presume guests know what to do when they arrive here. And many of you have been guests for the first time and you walk in here and you don't know what's going on. And then that person comes running after you to hug you. And you run away from them because you don't know what to do with it. 
The reason I say that is because let's be aware of people. In this, come on, somebody, let's be aware of people. This is your church, not my church. Come on, this is your church. Don't presume that guests know what they do when they rub. Don't presume quiet, timid, or shy people are extroverts who simply don't like you. They actually may be introverts. And I think that both parties can get along in our church. Come on, somebody. Both can get along in our church. Don't presume everyone here loves to sing. So let's sing passionately as to cover their silence. For those of us who love to sing. Don't presume guests will come back just because we are experiencing a moment of momentum around here. We have to always create a welcome home atmosphere in this church. Don't presume people don't want connection just because they appear serious, nervous, or sullen. They simply may just be that. Let's be bigger. Let's not be presumptuous. Are you seeing what I'm talking about here? How presumption keeps us from engaging. Put this into your marriage. If your marriage is representing crossed arms right now, don't be presumptuous that the other one doesn't want you to cross the line of warfare. Cross it. Engage. That's what we're talking about. Don't presume someone knows what's next after they make a choice to follow Christ. We've got to engage with people. Don't presume those with folded arms and a scowl are not listening. I see you out there. Don't presume everyone in leadership hears what we say. Be self-led and self-informed. Don't presume everyone has the culture of the well. Right? You may, in fact, experience Eeyore in this church. You may not always experience Caleb. But come on, can we be a big enough church to say, listen, we're going to go beyond our presumptions and we're going to engage and we're going to find out what's really going on. Don't presume someone intended to exclude you if you were not invited. Don't get quiet on me, church. <laughs> Don't presume you're not appreciated if you're not highlighted. You're appreciated. You are. Don't presume a job or a service is beneath you or will get done without you. Don't presume that. We need you. We need you in the game. We need you in the fight. Don't presume we have enough resource because lots of people come to this church and everyone ties. It's not true. Here's the, here's the stark truth. 20% are taking care of 100% around here. Get in the game. Don't presume things will be the same next year or next week. We are married to the message, but the method is ever-changing. Don't presume. Don't presume we are like your last church. Because we're not. We're the well. We've got a vision. We've got a, a mission. And here's the thing. With all those presumptions that we can make, whether it's in church, in our families, in our homes, in our jobs, in our relationships, presumption is the death of faith. So church, here's, here's the call this morning. Can we have right perspective? Can we be the type of people that see things the way God sees them? Our prayer should be, God, let me see this above all the other mess, all the other stuff. Let me see what it is that you're trying to show me. And I believe that if we can be a church with right perspective, right, that we will not be passive. We will not presume things. We will not have a pejorative reality. We will be the church that continues into the future that God has for us. We will be the people that continues into the future that God has for us. We will be the type of marriages and parenting and singles and young adults that live a life that wholly represents the God of ages. 
in Jesus' name. Come on, would you stand to your